morning, everyone. It's time for us to begin our worship this morning. Uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, welcome back to some who have uh, rejoined us after having been away for a while. If you're visiting with us, you are uh, our special guests. Uh, we would like to get to know you better, uh, invite you back. Um, so, so please uh, allow us time to do, do so. Um, for our uh, order of worship today, uh, John Kelly will be leading singing, reading and prayer will be Chad Ward, uh, Lord's Table, Cy Wilson, and uh, Nathan Thompson will be delivering the closing prayer. I uh, got all those things lined out last week and then just forgot to mention those. There are several times that Paul, in his writings, I think up to seven or more, says, I don't want you to be ignorant or unaware or not knowing something. And then he goes about telling them something right after he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this fact. Next Sunday morning, Chris is going to be gone, and I'm going to be taking his place, and I'm going to be talking about... um, things that I think we need to be aware of. The name of the sermon is Headlines. And if you don't read the newspaper or don't watch the news on a regular basis, you may not be aware that some of these things are taking place. So I just want to take that time to um, let share with you things that I've run across, just headlines over the last several years. So I invite you to come. I invite someone else if you like, and we'll spend time talking about that in order that we can be better prepared to fight against those things. Chris read in our class this morning, um, Ephesians 4, he's talking about being equipped to do the work of the ministry, and that's for all of us, not just the preacher. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 14, as a result, once we reach that point, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And I'm thinking we may hit on some of those next week. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Let's bow before we begin. Our Father in heaven, as we begin our worship service. We pray, Father, that each of us will clear his or her mind so that we may focus entirely upon you and our love for you and our devotion to you and focus on the things that you have done for us which should prompt that love that we have for you and to serve you in the ways that you want us to do so. We pray, Father, that things we do here this this morning will be according to the pattern that we find in your word and that each of us will enter into that in spirit and in truth. We ask you, Father, to be with this congregation as it strives to do your will and be a light in this community for those around us. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. We know that we fall short. We're weak. Help us to be stronger, to resist temptation and to serve you in ways that we have not been able to up until now. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen.
Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 790. 790. Wonderful love of Jesus. <clears throat> In faith in high and holy land, my soul her grateful voice would raise for who can say the worthy praise of the love of Jesus? Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus, wonderful love. Next hymn this morning, number 783, Will You Not Tell It Today? And after this hymn, Brother Chad Ward will have our scripture reading prayer. If the name of the Savior is precious to you, if his care has been constant and tender and true, if the light of his treasures has brightened your way, oh, will you not Your faith in the Savior has promised before. If a street you have found in the street of your Lord, if the hope of the blessing is palace is sweet, oh, will you not rather the story be? The souls all around you are living in sin. If the master has told you to bid him come in, if the sweet invitation they never have heard, oh, will you not tell them to bring it for 
Will you pray with me, please? Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning, Father, on this day that is your day, Father, we we ask your blessing upon our worship service this morning. We're thankful for all that you bless us with, Father, we praise your holy name for, for all that you are. Father, we ask your blessing upon Chris as he will bring us the lesson this morning, that you will watch over him. We're thankful for his time, Father, and energy in, in preparing the lesson. Father, we ask your blessing upon all those who are in need of your healing hand. Father, be with Sue Powell and and, and Father, be with Rusty and, and Kristen and and Hank and, and Kelly and Father, so many who are, are battling cancer. We ask your blessing upon each of them and, and the treatments that they are undergoing. Father, watch over each of us throughout the rest of this week. We pray that you would be with us as we leave this place, that, that you will bless us and watch over us. Father, forgive us when we sin, and we're thankful for you sending your son Jesus to die upon the cross for our sins. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. I'll be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Genesis 22, 16 and 17. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Next hymn this morning, number 784, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth? Because he loved me so. 
This do in remembrance of me. What does that mean? When we do something in remembrance of something else, what do we do? This week uh, was December 7th. Some people, that doesn't mean anything. Others remember December 7th, 1941. If I would say the phrase, a date which will live in infamy, a lot of us will go to that day. We'll think of the attack on Pearl Harbor. But this week when it happened, I didn't see anything on the news. I didn't see anybody doing anything in remembrance. I, I remembered, but apparently most of the world is not. Earlier this year, we had 9-11, the 20th year. There wasn't much done in remembrance. There was some. But when that happened, we thought, 20 years, there will be more. There wasn't. Those events were life-changing for at least us in America. So when Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, we are remembering something that was life-changing. Our lives changed Everybody's lives changed the moment he was on the cross. And to remember that every Sunday we take of these emblems. We take the bread that represents his body, and we take this fruit of the vine that represents his blood. To help us remember, I would like to read from Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and starting with verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, 
Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are the, under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It's now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. I was not there. None of us were there. But we can still remember. I wasn't there. I wasn't alive on December 7, 1941. Some in here were. Some may remember. I can't remember in the way that we would think. But I do remember what happened that day, and I remember what happened after. Today we need to remember what happened on the day that I just read. And we need to remember what it means to us. That Jesus was the sacrifice for us. Because of him, we have a home in heaven waiting for us if we do what the Lord commands. These thoughts in mind, let's ask the blessing on the bread. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. Lord, we know that the greatest gift of all is your son. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to come to this earth, to live his life, to suffer, to be persecuted, to die on the cross for us, and to raise again. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to do that. We thank you that he was willing to suffer that persecution, to be our sacrifice. Lord, now we ask that you bless this bread that we're about to partake. We ask that you help us remember that it represents his body which was given on our behalf. Bless this bread and bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's ask the blessing on the fruit of the vine. Father, again, we come before you thanking you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. The blood that flowed from his body as he was hanging on that cross. Lord, we ask now that you bless this fruit of the vine and help us remember that it represents the blood that he shed. Lord, we ask that you bless this cup and bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
before COVID, we would take this time to collect the offering. We still have receptacles at the back that you can put your offering in, but at this time, we'd like to ask the blessing on the giving. If you would, bow with me, please. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you thanking you for all the many gifts that you've given us. Lord, we know everything that we have is yours and that we are just stewards of it. Lord, we thank you for the means that we have to support ourselves and our families, our jobs, our other means of livelihood. Lord, we thank you for the material blessings that we have. Lord, we pray now that you'll help us to find it in our hearts to give back what we've been given and to help support your church, your kingdom here on earth. Lord, we ask that you be with us, that you help us to always be a cheerful giver. We thank you for your son, for it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand and we'll sing hymn number 800, Zion's Call. 800. <clears throat> this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Zion's call, sweetly raised over land and sea, bidding us move to hell
invitation hymn for this morning, number 768, While We Pray and While We Plead. This time, Brother Chris. It must have appeared to the first century Christians that God was not very good about keeping promises. No doubt, someone had stood before them, these Hebrew Christians, and said, God offers, through Christ, an abundant life. In John 10, that's the thing that Jesus promised, didn't he? He said, the thief only comes to steal in and steal and kill. That's Satan. He's leading you down a path of destruction. But Jesus put himself on the other side of that equation and said, He only wants to steal and kill, but I came to give you life, and not just any life, but good, overflowing, abundant life. But to these first century Hebrew Christians, they couldn't see very much abundant life, I would imagine. And so I wonder if their minds didn't go back to the promises that they were insured of at their baptism and think, God must not be very good at keeping promises. The next step for them is no doubt to think, what other promises might he break? What other promises might not be fulfilled? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. That's where we're studying this morning. We have a background of promises this morning because God is always, always faithful to fulfill this promise. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about this morning to folks, to a congregation, to a whole subset of people who had to feel like God had been faithless to them. The Hebrew writer says, just wait and see. Sit back and wait and see. He comes through. Every single time. It may not be in your time frame. You may not like the way he delivers, but he always keeps his promises. To the Jews, though, especially possibly these Christians who are coming out of Judaism, they've got to look back on the exile, for example, and think, what happened? God said he would be with us, that he would protect us, that we would be his people and then he cast us into exile and we left. We were forced to leave the land that he had given us, the land that he had promised us. Remember, it's called the promised land. Its name is Canaan, but that's the land that he promised them. And so that's how they refer to it throughout scripture, this, this attention to his promises. And so as first century Jews who have come to Christ Maybe they started this train of thinking, thinking, God just doesn't seem to be coming through for me like I thought he would. He's let me down. I came to Christ, and since that day, it has been nothing but difficult. It's been a hard road for me. I've lost a lot of things because I came to Christ. So maybe... All of that background from the exile onward came into their Christianity and they thought, he's not very good at keeping promises. To those people who are thinking those same thoughts, and those are thoughts I would just almost guarantee have run through every one of our heads. If you've ever been in a sticky situation, if you've ever been in a spot where grief has overwhelmed you or confusion has overwhelmed you or pain has overwhelmed you and you thought, 
Where are you? That's a cry that a lot of, most of, maybe all of God's people have had at one point in time. If you go back through and you read the Psalms, you hear lots of the psalmists crying out to God, feeling betrayed, feeling lost, feeling like he's let them down. But then if you keep reading that same psalm, just about 99.9% of the time, the psalm will always end in a note of praise because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's going to be faithful. He's going to come through for them. It may not be in their time frame. It may not be like they wanted it to come through. He may not deliver them in the way that, that they wanted to, and he may not do that in the time frame that they wanted, but he will deliver every single time because he's faithful to his promises. Let me read you our text this morning. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 13. If you remember <clears throat> where we came from, it's important to remember where we come from because he's the first word in this text is for. So he's tying this section that we're reading today, that we're studying today, back to the section that we studied last week. And that section is tied to the previous section. And so he's talking about the priesthood of Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is your priest. Now to a Jew, they think, even a Jewish Christian, they think, how can Jesus be a priest? He doesn't come from the line of Levi. That's where all priests come from. He can't possibly be a priest. The Hebrew writer, via the Holy Spirit, raises his hand and says, Yeah, but Jesus can be a priest because he comes from the priesthood like that of Melchizedek. Now, most of these Hebrew Christians, unlike us, are going to be fully aware of who Melchizedek is. As soon as they hear his name, they think, Oh, yeah, we'll study more about him next week. If you're like, Who's Melchizedek? Come back next week. We'll, we'll talk about him next week in, in chapter 7 where the writer really gets into his story. But to these Hebrew Christians, they would have thought, yeah, I understand who Melchizedek is. So Jesus is a priest like that. And the Hebrew, Hebrew writer says, yes, 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 yes. And so I want to tell you more about Jesus' high priesthood like that of Melchizedek. But you're dull of hearing. You don't want to hear it. You put your brain on autopilot and you're just allowing allowing it to run he called us dull of hearing last week and indeed they were and certainly sometimes we are as well and so he gives us a warning pay attention wake up stop stop allowing your brain to run on autopilot there's some things that you need to be paying attention to in the last half of hebrews chapter 6 starting in verse 11 He says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Today he's telling you about someone who through faith and patience inherited the promises. He's going to talk to you about, of course, Abraham, the patriarch of the Hebrew family and our spiritual father. So in in verse 13, this is what he says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promises. Chad read for you this morning the verse that's alluding to, that the Hebrew writer's alluding to here. It's Genesis 22, verses 16 and 17. It's the incidents where Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. You remember the promise, of course. God makes two promises that we're told of uh, to Abraham. 
He makes a land promise and he makes a descendant promise. And so at the very beginning of our interactions with Abraham, he's 75 years old. He lives in a place called Haran. Uh, He's left Ur of the Chaldees earlier with his dad, and his dad has brought the family over to Haran. But there, Abraham's brother dies. Uh, His name is Haran. And so they they just stayed in that spot, and they made a civilization there, I suppose. And so that's where Abraham's dad dies. But God comes to Abraham at that place at Haran. And when Abraham's 75 years old, he says, you're not there yet. You haven't fulfilled the, the obligation yet you keep walking you keep going and eventually you'll go to the place that I have promised you and, and indeed Abraham does he continues walking and finally he gets to what is modern day Israel Canaan's land and so God eventually says this is going to be your land and your descendants are going to fill this land because they're going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky and so Abraham never sees those things happen does he? You ever read through Abraham's story? We, we studied him several weeks ago in our, in our Sunday night lessons. But he really never sees any of those promises fulfilled. Stop and think for a second. How much land does Abraham own in Canaan? You ever thought about it? How much land does he own in Canaan? He owns one little tract of land, and it's the cave where he buries Sarah. That's all he owns. And he had to pay for it, by the way. God didn't give it to him. He had to pay for it. And then, so the land promise, you start looking at it and you think, oh man, God didn't didn't keep his promise there, did he? Just wait. Just wait. Remember, this is a patience thing. So we wait and we see. But then on the other side of this, God didn't just promise Abraham land, did he? He also promised him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand on the beach. But by the time Abraham is 75 years old, he sees no children. And Sarah sees no children. And in fact, they will not see any children until they are beyond childbearing years. They try something and that doesn't work out. His name's Ishmael. And that doesn't go well. And so they just continue waiting. And they wait 25 years. And finally God fulfills his promise through the birth of Isaac. Abraham at 100 years old has a newborn, which I can't imagine would be difficult. But at 100 years old, has God has fulfilled this promise except... Remind me what the promise was. God said, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand on the beach. And Abraham looks and there's only one baby in that crib. And so has God fulfilled the child promise? Not yet, has he? He's given them one, but the fulfillment of this promise hasn't come to fruition just yet. So the child promise is still on the table and the land promise is still on the table. And so Abraham must look and think, God hasn't been, he hasn't been faithful to me. Now that's something that the Hebrew Christians can identify with. Because as the Hebrew writer is writing to them, he's telling them that the circumstances that they're, that they're going through right now, which are 
very difficult. Um, they have lost jobs. They've lost family. They've, they've, they're known as betrayers. Uh, they have forsaken the covenant that God has entrusted to Israel. They are on the outs with their entire family, their entire culture. All of that is gone now. He says, it's going to get worse. You haven't withstood to bloodshed yet. He throws in that last little word, yet. That's one of his favorite words, I think, in, the, in Hebrews. He keeps on coming back to yet. That hasn't happened yet. And he's going to talk about God's promises like that, too. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. It's coming because he's faithful. Every promise he makes, he makes good on. And so he says, yet. But he also uses yet to say, it's going to get worse. You haven't withstood the bloodshed yet. And so this pain that you're going through, the suffering that you're going through, this, this questioning of God that you're currently going through, it's about to get worse. And so to these people, they needed a rock-solid understanding that God was going to come through on his promises. That's something we need too, isn't it? That shores up our faith. And we look at them and say, as we look around at our culture and our lives, some of us struggle a lot, right? Sickness or with culture or with the great many things that come into our lives. And we think, where are you? Where's this abundant life I was promised Where's the good, overflowing life I was promised? And so we struggle. The Hebrew writer has a word for us this morning, and he's going to use Abraham to get that point across to us. Look at Abraham's patience, is what the Hebrew writer would say. He waited 25 years, never saw it all the way come to fruition. But what? He could kind of see it. From afar, he could see it coming. He knew, was convinced that God was going to be faithful. Once you have a child at 100 years old, you begin to think God can do whatever he wants to do. Once you follow him for 25 years, as he leads you around your known world, he's constantly taking care of you constantly working things out, constantly making promises and fulfilling them, you stop and you sit back and you think, I can trust him. He's going to make good on these promises. And so at 75, when God makes this first promise to Abraham, I don't see Abraham going, okay, God, sure. I see Abraham going, okay. I know you're going to hold up your end of the deal, Lord. So I'm going to hold up my end and I'm going to go. I'm going to walk and I'm going to listen. I'm going to be faithful. And you see him at 80 doing the same thing, and at 85, and at 90, and 95, and finally at 100. He's convinced God's going to come through for him. The Hebrew writer, via the Holy Spirit, wants us to be just convinced that God's going to come through for us as well. Verse 16, he says, in Hebrews 6, verse 16, he says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. When God made this promise to Abraham, 
He didn't just say, this is what I'm going to do for you. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, multiply your descendants. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you land. That's not what he said. That's not all that he said. He says, I swear by myself. Did he have to do that? Of course not. He's God. He cannot lie. That's, that's coming up in our text. But he didn't have to swear by himself. So why did he? So why did he? You start thinking, he must have sworn by himself to settle Abraham's mind on the issue. Now it's been doubly confirmed. Not only is Yahweh saying it, but he's sworn by himself because there's nothing greater than he is. And so this promise will be fulfilled. There's no doubt about it. Verse 17 in Hebrews chapter 6 he says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, there's, there's the one, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So, there's a lot that we need to unpack there. Underline refuge. We're going to get to it in a second. If you mark in your text, you need to pay attention to refuge. We wrote about that a little bit on the, on the front of the bulletin article this morning. But that's something we need to pay attention to because that's central to the text this morning. He wants you to remember that it is impossible for God to lie. It's not that he can't or it's not that he won't. It's that he can't. It's impossible for him to do this thing. And so all the promises that he's made to you, he will make good on them. And you sit back and you think, well, I haven't seen it happen yet, and it's been a month. The Hebrew writer would say, it took Abraham 25 years, and he still didn't really see them fulfilled, but he could see them in the distance. He had enough trust in God, thanks to God fulfilling these promises along the way, that he could see it coming. He could see it in the distance. And he knew that God was going to make good on these promises because he can't lie. And he's already made a promise. This God who can't lie is the one that we have fled for refuge to. Who fled for refuge in the Old Testament? Are you familiar with this? These cities of refuge... In the Old Testament, there are six of them spread all throughout uh, Canaan. From north to south, there are six different cities called cities of refuge. Now, if you accidentally murdered someone, you could run to one of these cities for clemency. You were safe there. You were safe because the one that you murdered, the one that you accidentally killed... Their closest living relative was called an avenger of blood. And they would, it was their responsibility to enact justice on you. So since you killed their relative, they're going to kill you. But if you can get to the city of refuge, you are safe. There you'll have a trial, right? And if you're found innocent, you can stay in the city of refuge until the high priest dies. And at that point, you are set free and everything is forgiven and you can go on with your life. If you're found guilty, of course, 
you will um, be executed. And so when the Hebrew writer says, we have fled to this God for refuge, that's, that's the undercurrent that he's talking about here. He's talking about these cities of refuge. He's saying God is our only refuge. He's the only safe place for us, right? Because we're not innocent. Our trial has already been conducted. You were guilty. You were guilty of sin, of rebellion against God. And so the only safe place for you is with him. He's going to be more specific in just a second. But right now, the only safe place for you is with him. Now that's important for us. It's important for them because these Hebrew Christians were thinking it's not safe here. It's not safe with God, with Yahweh, because all these people are trying to hurt me. They're taking things from me. They're taking my money. They're taking my reputation. They're taking my happiness. They're taking my life. They're, and it's going to get worse, right? They're taking, taking, taking. It's not safe for me here. And the Hebrew writer says, this is the only safe place for you. Out there's danger and destruction. Don't go that way. This is the only safe place. You flee to him for refuge. Listen to what else he has to say, though. We have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He's going to get deeper into what this word hope means in Hebrews 11. He's not quite there yet, but biblically speaking, hope does not mean what you think it means. You ever seen Princess Bride? This word, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Hope does not mean what you think it means. A lot of times when we say, well, I hope something happens. Like, I hope it doesn't rain today. Um, I hope you have a good day. It's a wish, right? That's the way we use hope. That's not the way the biblical writers use hope. When God says hope, he's talking about a sure thing. He's, he's, he's saying it. you can be confident. And so... When I, if you were to say, to use hope in a biblical way, yeah, you could say, I am confident of my salvation. I am confident. I hope that God will come through on his promises. I'm confident that he will come through on his, with, his, with his promises. And so here the Hebrew writer is asking them to go back and look at the evidence. Hope has evidence, right? You don't, you're not sure of something unless you've looked at the evidence for it. And he's saying, go back and look at the evidence. Has God been faithful to you in the past? Yeah, he has. So that's why you fled to him originally. This was not a fly-by-night, very quick decision. This is something that you counted the cost of, right? Of following him. Nobody just jumps into Christ without acknowledging that there's a price to pay. Sometimes it's heavy. For these people, it was heavy. It's not, it's not heavy for us yet. It's not as heavy as it was for them. We still pay a heavy price to follow, but not, not quite like they were having to pay. Not yet, at least. And so he says, when you came to Christ, you were convinced that he was worth it. Go back and remember that. 
Go back and review that evidence of the hope that's set before you. Verse 19 It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Isn't that a beautiful analogy? Our soul has an anchor. We we sing that song sometimes, don't we? Our soul has an anchor. It's the only time in all of Scripture an anchor is used as a metaphor. It's kind of interesting. So you might want to underline this, this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Usually anchors are meant to do what? What's the job of an anchor? It's to hold you in place, right? If a ship were to let down its anchor, it's because the ship wants to stay right there. He's saying you need to stay with Christ. You're anchored to him. You're, you're, you're tied down to him. But this anchor needs to move. Remember last week we talked about growing up in Christ, making progress with him, that's that he's going to come back to that thought here. It's, it's one of the central features of the Hebrew letter. He is so concerned that they grow. Because if you're not growing, what? You're dying. If you're not putting in the effort to grow, you're dying. He's convinced of it. The Holy Spirit's convinced of it. You've seen it in your own life. I would almost guarantee it. If you're not putting in the effort to grow... You're going backwards, right? So he says, you need to move. Well, where's this anchor moving us? This anchor is Jesus. And so he's moving us closer and closer to the Father. Listen to what he says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What? What's he talking about? This is one of the reasons Hebrews is so... Difficult for us because we don't know our Old Testament like we should. And so when the Hebrew writer says he enters into the inner place behind the curtain, what's he talking about? Well, it's a Hebrew thing. You, you kind of have to know the temple to understand what he's talking about. And so the inner place is the most holy place. The temple's made up of two sections. It's got the holy place and the most holy place. In between these two things is this giant curtain. This is the curtain that was ripped in two when Jesus dies. He says, this anchor, Jesus, moves you through the curtain into the most holy place. Now, what makes this the most holy place? God's presence lives there. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two cherubim. Their wings meet in the middle, and God's presence lives in between those two cherubim. He's not talking about the temple, though, is he? Because the Hebrew writer could care less about the temple. God's presence doesn't live there anymore anyhow. He's not talking about the temple. He's using it as a metaphor. It's something they understood because they were steeped in this understanding that God's presence lives in the temple. But these Christians understood that he wasn't there anymore. That he had left the temple. That he had left Judaism. Now Christ was the only way, the only refuge for their souls. So he's using it as a metaphor when he says this anchor, Jesus, moves us into the inner place. Behind the curtain, he's dragging us into God's presence, is what he's saying. In verse 20, where Jesus has gone, 
Jesus is already there, right? He is a, the Hebrew writer calls him a forerunner on our behalf. That's a beautiful thought, right? Jesus is blazing the trail for us to get there. You ever uh, been out in the woods and you found a trail? Maybe somebody had cut it up through or a, maybe it's a deer trail, an animal trail. And it's so much easier to get through those trails, isn't it? Why is that? Because somebody's already blazed that trail through there. They've cut away the brush. They've moved the obstacles. They've made it an easier path. That's what the Hebrew writer says here about Jesus. He has blazed the path for us to get to the Father. That's the goal, right? We're trying to get to the Father. And Jesus says, John, the only way to get to the Father is what? Through me. The Hebrew writer is echoing those thoughts. Uh, Jesus is our anchor. But this anchor moves, but it only moves in one direction. It doesn't go backward, right? This anchor only moves forward. It only moves closer and closer to the Father. And finally, the ultimate goal is to get into the inner place, into God's presence behind the curtain where Jesus has already gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Finally, we're getting back to our point, right? The Hebrew writer's been longing to talk to us about how Jesus' priesthood is like that of this guy Melchizedek. But he can't talk to us about that because we put our brains on autopilot. And so he's got to wake us up first. He's got to warn us first. And we went through that last week and hopefully now we're awake and we're paying attention. And so he's ready to talk to us about how Jesus' high priesthood like that of Melchizedek is something that you need. Like a guy in the desert needs water. Like a hungry man needs food. You need this aspect of Jesus' work in your life. He's going to talk to you about that next week. If you haven't already been baptized, you're not walking toward the Father. You're going backward. Still in your sin still culpable, still accountable for your sin. That's not a place you need to be. You don't have to be there. God doesn't want you to be there. In fact, he's waited this long to come back so that you can come to him. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, right? But that all you should come to repentance. Maybe you've already made that decision And you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to live a life that's worthy of the sacrifice that he made for you. Won't you come this morning, if we can help you in any way? While we pray, while we bleed, while we
Thank you, Chris, for that fine lesson. We have a few announcements before we dismiss. Annual toy drive for Hoops Children. The deadline on that is December the 17th. Ladies Holiday Cookie Exchange, December 16th. Make your calendars and listen for more details. They don't buy those and give them away, do they? Oh, they make them. Okay. (laughs) Spare Time is back, hosted by the Ironton Church of Christ. This will be a family activity on Sunday, December the 19th from 8 to 11. If you haven't been, it's fun. But at 61, 2, I quit roller skating. So <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> that's too far to fall. But anyway, that's a good time. You can bowl and do other, play laser tag, I guess. You don't have to roller skate. Two things or more. Robin Ziegler has been sick this week and will not be here today. Keep her in your prayers. Last week, Sarah Dempsey was baptized into Christ on December the 4th. Yesterday, Campbell Fulton was baptized. We're really excited about this, and this is two really good things just to be plain about it but anyway congratulations to Campbell and I know his mother Whitney is excited for him also and grandma and grandpa also let's not forget the people in Mayfield and western Kentucky Joe's Jeff's there in Bowling Green Rick knows people in that area also we'll be doing something as soon as we can We've always given to the disaster relief for the Churches of Christ in Nashville. 
we will see what we need and we'll be getting something going tomorrow or the next day to these people. I can't imagine what a three-quarter mile wide tornado would be like. Hopefully I never lived this, oh, I'd like to live a long time, but not to see one of those. But anyway, a, a tornado like that, that's terrible. Keep those people in your prayers. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? Yes, Brian. Trevathan, I couldn't hear. I thought you said Bates. I thought Bates. Trevathan's cookie exchange will be at uh, David and Mandy's house. Anything else? Nathan Thompson has a closing prayer. We'll have one more song. Would you stand, please? Number 756, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Nathan will have our, Nathan Thompson will have a prayer. Sing thou wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace, his Father, we are so very thankful to have the opportunity to gather back here this morning to study more of your word. We ask that you keep your love and grace around all those that were mentioned here this morning, as well as those that only you may be aware of their needs. Please help them recover from sickness or illness and help those that may be mourning the loss of a loved one. We ask that you keep those that were in the path of this devastating natural disaster uh, keep your loving arms around them. They're struggling in ways that only they're aware of right now. Please be with all those that are down there trying to help them uh, still find missing people and, and recover from what just occurred. We ask that you be with everyone as they leave here today and return to their homes. In your son's name, amen. <laughs>